Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 100, How to Hear God. Hey, hey, 100. Yeah. I'm so excited, guys. <laughs> welcome. My name is Lori Creek, and I'm the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries, and we're coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am alongside licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Creek. Hello. Hey, Matt. And we also have in the studio among us... Producer Steve, who is also the most professional radio voice among us. Welcome. I've got a big grin on my face because 100. I know. It's so, it's exciting. so exciting. I can't believe it. I didn't. I think when we started this, I was like, I don't know. Right. We're just going to kind of just go till God tells us to not. Speaking of God telling us, guys, I'm so excited for what we're going to do because we're going to be diving into how we can listen to God. How do we do that? And to help us, we have someone who wrote a book about it called God Told Me. And his name is Jim Samra. Jim, welcome. Thank you very much, Lori. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. And just as means of a little bit more introduction of Jim, he serves as the senior pastor of Calvary Church, where his main responsibility is to lead others in worship of God, which is so important. He also casts, I mean, not even so important, the most important thing. Okay. But he also casts vision for a ministry of Calvary Church called the Jerusalem Project, which seeks to advance Christ's church through planting new churches, strengthening established churches, and training church leaders. That's neat. Jim is the author of several books, including The Gift of Church. And the one that we're going to be talking about a little bit today is God Told Me. But other than serving God in ministry, his greatest joy and privilege is loving his wife and four kids. So we're excited to talk about this, this whole hearing God thing. But first, let's get to know you and our listeners better, Jim, through the question of the week from last week, which is, what is your current life song? What song describes the season of life you're having or maybe just the day you're having? So I feel like I should say all the way my savior leads me because that sort of fits with the topic. But yeah, it does. <laughs> if I was going to pick like the song that emotionally uh, means the most to me, at least currently, uh, whom shall I fear? And so I think that all my life fear has kind of played a major role. And that's one of the ways Satan really uh, comes after me. And so that song just means a lot. And I find myself singing it or uh, using it uh, at lots of different uh, points over the past three or four years. It's really meant a lot to me. That's great. I've heard, I listened to a sermon you gave. I don't go to your church, but I know it's great. Uh, just about some of your heart um, around fear and just some wrestling you've had with panic attacks. And yep. I just loved that. Your vulnerability on a platform to thousands of people and just what you're sharing now. I'm, ex I'm excited to hear your heart even more in this conversation about uh, hearing from God. Matt Krieg, how about you? Well, listener, did you yeah. want to listen more of their song? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it was one that I, I thought about, but the, the listener, her name is Tammy. She said her song, her life song right now is Even If by Mercy Me. And, and that really struck a chord with me because a couple of years ago when we were in our rough, we're kind of coming out of our rough season when I was really praying for change in our marriage, mm -hmm. um, that song was, was one of the songs that I just really gravitated toward, that even if God didn't reach his hand in and change our situation, I was still going to try and follow him. Mm. But my current song that I really, really appreciate is the song, the love song for the bride by oh, brother Isaiah. And it, it really, I, I love it for multiple reasons. One, the message is amazing. And two, it actually came from a client of mine that, and so it just added meaning of, you know, the client really listening to that through their story and then applying it to mine. And it's just an amazing song and encourage anyone to go listen to it. Brother Isaiah, love song for bride. It's great. Steve. Yeah, I really appreciated this comment 
I'm Stacy. I'm from Northwest Ohio, and my current life song is Losing My Religion by Lauren Daigle. Um, right now, it's just really applies because I'm kind of throwing off the religion side and embracing Jesus as I start a LGBT plus teen group here in little tiny Midwest, Northwest Ohio. R.E.M. had a song called Losing My Religion. Oh, okay. Very Not different, that. <laughs> very different song. Uh, no, I, I, and there's a little piece of it playing, but I really like that whole album by Lauren Daigle, um, mm-hmm. and I work in the business where we play uh, Jesus songs all the time, and yeah. so, you know, like, we often get these great songs that after a while we all get kind of sick of. Yeah. And I was talking to uh, my coworker last week, and we're still waiting to get tired of the song Rescue by Lauren Daigle. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just really powerful and it reminds me of times when I've just been completely desperate, you know, and even now, every day, there are times where you just get kind of tired and you just mm-hmm. feel like all I got in me is send out an SOS and God is there. Yep. Um, so, anyway, that's just a great reminder for me. So good. Ruthie on Instagram said Hillsong with the song Highlands. Uh, and I, I liked that one just because it's a very like reaching out, just declaring who God is song. Um, but that album is one that I've appreciated recently. And another friend, Sandy, on the Facebook podcast page, which, guys, if you want to connect with us, there's other conversations going on. And in addition to this conversation you're hearing on the podcast where we just kind of unpack more, it's the just look up. Hold My Heart podcast page on Facebook. And we're talking about things like this and community. And I don't know, it's sweet. It's growing. Uh, but someone on there, Sandy, she said from that same Hillsong album, the song Another in the Fire, uh, that one I've had on repeat a lot. And it's been in our house just how there is another one in the fire and those f- the furnace of suffering with us. We're never alone. And so I just feel like I can do anything. I can do this podcast. I can get and speak. I can talk about challenging things if I know I am not alone. Um, so that's a really sweet song for me right now. So Jim, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast before, but we ask every guest these set of questions and it's about the gospel. Um, because the purpose of this podcast, guys, for those of you who maybe are joining us for just episode 100, <laughs> uh, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. So we ask every guest this set of questions, which is, If the gospel is, I'm more loved than I can imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe, when was that gospel first good news for you, Jim, and how is it still? I think that's a really great question, so I'm glad you asked that all the time. I became a Christian when I was young, so four years old, and uh, that's a really great thing. Uh, But one of the problems with becoming a Christian at a young age is, as you grow up, you have no idea, why did I really do this? And you can't really remember sort of what life was like. You know, people would always talk about, oh, before I was a Christian. And for me, I mean, before I was a Christian, well, I was three. And I don't don't really remember that all so well. My parents were brand new Christians. And so they didn't know how to help somebody who was growing up as a Christian. This was new for them. And so I just sort of navigated that on my own. And so for years and years, I just struggled with intense doubt. Like, did I really, did I do it right? Did I, did I knew, do I need to pray again? Do I need to like, I threw twigs and fires and I signed my name on cards and I raised my hand and (laughs) I got born again and again and again, because I was like, you know, I just, I don't want to mess this up. So this was just a really hard way to uh, sort of grow up in this. And so I didn't, I didn't know who to ask or what to do, but I remember just praying all the time, Lord, if I'm not a Christian, then make me a Christian. And if I am, then tell me, 
Mm-hmm. Which again, now looking back, you're like, well, of course, that's the evidence that you were. Mm-hmm. But there was a very significant episode that happened uh, when I was a junior year in high school. I went on a missions trip with our church uh, to New York City. And uh, the guy who was up speaking talked about the fact that his testimony and he had one of those testimonies I was always jealous of. You know, there was like drugs and alcohol and then he met Jesus and there was this radical change. And foolish me, I always wished I could have that testimony, not Mm -hmm. realizing that there was a lot of pain associated with that. But I don't know what compelled me. I went up to him and I was like, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But have you ever doubted that like it was real or anything like that? And he was like, actually, about six months in, I thought it was all just another trip and this was all fake. And I was like, well, what did you do? And he turned me to John 1:12, which is a passage in the Bible that it's fine. I'm sure it's been there forever. Uh, but when I read it that time and he read it to me, it was like it was literally like God was speaking to my heart. And the passage says that uh, to as many as believed on him, to as many as received him, to them, he gave the power to be called the sons of God. And somehow at that moment, in a very subjective sort of way, I felt like God spoke to my heart and said, you're my child. And mm-hmm. so it was this overwhelmingly powerful experience. Um, probably I cried for maybe an hour. Wow. Uh, and the Lord used that to tell me not just that this was a set of sort of intellectual beliefs, uh, but that he was real and that I was his son. And so uh, that to me is uh, what's so powerful about the gospel is it's not just like, OK, well, here's a bunch of stuff to believe. It's an actual person yeah. uh, that you engage with. And so even as we talk about how God speaks to you, I think that event was just sort of fundamental in my life is that uh, it was God talking to me, calling me by name. uh, And that's how I'm a Christian. So good. So, Jim, do you still need him or are you good now? (laughs) So, you know, the thing we like to say is if you're going to have obviously a relationship with somebody, you have this sort of signature event. So I'm married and uh, had a, a time when I met my wife. I had a time when we got married. But our marriage doesn't consist of sort of looking back on a wedding day that happened a long time ago. It's the Mm -hmm. fact of this daily ongoing interaction. And I think that's the way it works with God. You know, in Old Testament, you've got this really powerful, most important day in Israel's history when they're at Mount Sinai and they're going to meet with God for the first time. And up till that point, the nation of Israel had heard about God, but they'd never actually met him. So here he comes, you know, smoke and fire, uh, the voice, an audible voice, the Ten Commandments, you know, this incredibly powerful, epic, life-changing moment. But then the rest of the book of Exodus is all about building the tabernacle. And you're like, what's the deal with this? Well, it's a portable version of Mount Sinai. And the point is, is that, okay, look, this one-time experience, as powerful and amazing as it was, that's not a relationship. And so even when they're getting ready to leave after the sin with the golden calf, uh, God's like, hey, I'm not going with you. And Moses says, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from this place. This is the only thing that differentiates us from every other people on the face of the earth. And so the tabernacle becomes this opportunity for Israel to meet with God on a regular basis. And I found in my own experience that sort of when you emphasize, when did you get saved? When did you believe sort of in the past tense? That's all true and fine. It's just not super helpful. And like in the gospel of John, believe is usually in the present tense, meaning what is your ongoing experiences of God? Hmm. And so I even learned, you know, I used to, like I said, I used to be jealous of people had these great testimonies. The Lord's like, you got a great testimony. It just doesn't really go with when you were four years old. Like that's not really the story that engages with people. So when I share the gospel with people, I tend to share with them ways God's spoken to me recently or things he's done this week. And in that way, it not only keeps my faith fresh, it allows me to be able to have an ongoing uh, relationship with God that I can share with others. That's giant. Mm. Uh, Yep. 
Yep, there's listeners resonating right now. All right, so you talk about hearing from God. Now, this is controversial, and I forget that because it's such a part of my vernacular, right. my world. Like, yeah, I just was talking with God, and I heard this. And, and so the circles I run in, it's very normal. But then we start publishing books, or uh, we're self-publishing a book, and it's not necessarily that they are very conservative, but they're like, well, listen, readers are very conservative, and so you can't get it in XYZ shop unless you pull anything that says that's not the literal verse by verse that God said. And I was like, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> so uh, how, why is it so controversial? Well, I think partly it, it, it does get abused. And mm-hmm. so even in the scriptures, you know, there's this one passage that always frightens me. It's in first Kings 13. And uh, there's a prophet uh, who goes and does what God tells him to do, confronts the king. And then on, a way, on the way home, so God tells him, hey, look, don't, don't eat anything. Don't stay. Just go right home. And there's another prophet who comes to him and says, hey, God told me you're supposed to come to my house and eat stuff. But it says in the text, he's lying to him. Well, the first prophet believes him, goes to the second prophet's house. All of a sudden, the second prophet starts prophesying genuinely from God, who then convicts the first prophet and tells him he's going to die. And then he leaves and dies. And you read that story and you think, whoa, wait a second. It's not supposed to work that way. But yeah, there are lots of people who sort of abuse this idea and they're going to use the God told me language or God speaking to me uh, just to masquerade for the things that they actually want to do. I also think it can be controversial because people get really and I, and I think there's important stuff here. People get worried about, wait a second, if you've heard from the Lord, is this revelation from God with like a capital R? Is this infallible? Uh, Is what you're telling me now on equal par with the Bible? And those are very, very important questions. I don't happen to think any of those things when God speaks, but I know lots of people are like, hey, look, better safe than sorry. Mm -hmm. And I don't resonate with that, although I understand it. And I think, you know what, there's kind of the attitude of, well, this is dangerous Let's build sort of a fence around it and make sure we don't get too close to it. Uh, But I think that's always a dangerous thing to do. And so Jesus says, hey, look, that's kind of uh, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, A legalistic approach is going to cut off your ability to experience God. So even though there can be abuses and are abuses, and even though there are some, it's confusing sometimes, to be honest. I may go like I may be praying about something for months and be like, Lord, have you stopped talking? Like, what are you saying here? Like, I'm totally confused on this. And so a lot of people are like, look, better off not touching it. But I just don't think that's the biblical approach. So you're saying it's not a matter of like when you hear from God, it's capital R revelation on par with the Bible, but neither is it nothing. Like, so it's not avoid it completely, but neither is it uh, like, uh, how do you discern that? Sure. The nearest example for me is what Martin Luther used to say about preaching, which is like the Bible is the word of God, capital W. Yeah. Preaching is a word from God, small w. And I see that in first Peter four, when it says, if anyone speaks, let him speak uh, the very words of God. And so I would say that you can have a word from the Lord, but it's a small W and it's normed by uh, the word of God, capital W. And so, yeah, it's not nothing. Yeah. It's important. Like there's this passage in Jeremiah where God says, they come and ask him if they're supposed to go to Egypt. And he's like, look, if you hadn't asked and then did what you wanted, you would have been okay. Yeah. It wouldn't have been great, but you've been okay. He's like, now that you've asked, well, you need to do what I said. This is not sort of like collecting advice that you can decide later whether you want to listen to or not. Mm. It is still God speaking. Mm. 
Okay, I'm just kind of getting a little convicted already. <clears throat> okay, we'll, we'll put my issues aside for a second. But how did you start this journey? Like, at four years old, you're coming to know Jesus with your baby Christian parents. Like, I think about our five and three-year-old. Matt and I are trying to train our kids to, like, listen to God. I've, sometimes I think they hear him sometimes. Well, most often they've been like, I think he's telling us we need to do jumping jacks. And we're like, okay, whatever, we'll do jumping jacks. But, like, how did you start this? Yeah, I think a, a portion of this is my parents, and I'm just so grateful that, you know, they came to faith. They, they were older, uh, and when they came to faith, it was a really powerful thing. And so, like, my parents didn't know that you weren't supposed to pray for where your keys are, things like that. And so <laughs> I grew up watching my mom, like, ask Jesus to help her with everything. And I watched my dad, who's, like, new to all of this, pray and ask God to give him advice and wisdom, and God seemed to answer. And so just mm. as a child, it was very formative to think Wait, these people who I go to for wisdom and advice, the person they go to for wisdom and advice and help is God. Hmm. But I grew up in a tradition where this was not emphasized. Uh, it was uh, they just we just didn't, didn't really talk about those things. We didn't really think about those things. And so I didn't really have categories for, for this kind of stuff. Uh, but a really signature event happened to me when I was away at university. I went through a really uh, difficult crisis. And in the middle of that crisis, the only hope I had in the midst of it was I decided, you know what? I've heard all my life that prayer changes things. And at that point, up to that point in my life, I had sort of played around with prayer, hmm. but I'd never been serious about it. Like the, just kind of praying over meals. Yeah, or, praying, you know, praying at night and then you kind of like fall asleep and yeah. you realize that you're like, you slept all the way through the prayer yeah, and totally. it's now in the morning, stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and yeah, if you got in real trouble or something, you might yeah. offer a quick sort of arrow prayer. Dear God, please help me, which is fine. And God hears those and he loves those. But there's obviously something way more than that. And so in the midst of this crisis, uh, the Lord showed up in this really powerful way. And I started praying, praying like I meant it. Hmm. And the Lord answered. And part of the prayer, and it's a long story, and I won't go into the whole thing, is that I sort of made a deal with God. And the deal was, Lord, if you help me with this, when we're done with this university degree, I'll do whatever you want with it. And he did. He showed up in this great way. Well, the problem was he kept his end of the bargain. And so when I got through the crisis and I graduated, it was time for me to keep my end of the bargain, which was, okay, I got to do whatever God wants me to do. How do you figure that out? What, what are you supposed to do? And so this was kind of, again, God's mercy, me sort of stumbling into this. I'm like, well, I just start praying and wait and see what God does. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed and somehow, and when you talk about God speaking to you, at least for me, it's very subjective. And you're like, you know what? You can't prove it to anybody. Yeah. But I just knew by faith that through some circumstances and other things that God used in my life, that he was calling me to leave Michigan where I was and move to Dallas, Texas. And so that was kind of the first time I would ever say that I specifically asked God for direction looking forward. There's lots of ways you can see God in hindsight kind of looking backwards. But this has uh, started me on this journey. And then uh, after that, I was like... Well, I got some more things I should probably ask him too. And it was just kind of this growing process mm -hmm. of learning to hear his voice. And that takes discernment, doesn't it? Like that takes, does it, does it take learning to hear his voice? Because uh, Matt and I will do in some of our training, we're training disciples to be disciples. Like how do you walk alongside specifically a training we do is alongside LGBT people, which really it's how do you walk alongside broken people? And some of that is we say, 
you guys need to be in tune to the Holy Spirit when you're walking to be able to listen and discern. And then your job is to then train them to listen to God. That's like a a double training that we're doing because people aren't awakened to that. But, But some pushback we'll get is, well... I mean, that's for mature believers and, and like, I mean, they, they, can we really even teach other people to listen to God? Like, I guess, I guess like how mature do you need to be? So it's a great question. I think my response is, is that my engagement with God is like, uh, again, like a father with a, with a child. When a child's first learning to walk or first learning to ride a bike as a parent, you're just sort of right there and you want to make it as easy as possible and you want to support them and you want to do everything again. When I first started trying to hear God's voice, I look back now and I was like, wow, that was kind of easy back then. Now, it felt super hard when I was there, but I felt like God was really close and really near. And it didn't feel like I've had experiences where I've waited years to kind of get an answer from God. That didn't happen the first few times. And again, it felt like a father with his son saying, look, I'm going to teach you and train you how to do this. And this is if I had just kind of one or two points to kind of get across, the sort of overarching framework and most fundamental orientation is, number one, God loves you. Mm. And number two, the burden of communication is on him. Mm. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I love my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. I call my sheep by name, which is salvation. And then they come out and follow me. And it's the shepherd's job to get the sheep to the green pastures and the still waters. And so... I grew up thinking, you know, there was this cartoon I used to watch uh, in the early 80s, and it had this character called Dungeon Master, and he always had all these, like, cryptic sayings that he said, and, like, I always figured that's what God was like, where he would do these, like, things that you could take three or four different ways, and you never knew what was going on, and only in hindsight could you ever figure out what he was really saying. God was like, I don't treat you like that. You don't treat your children like that. I don't treat you like that. Mm -hmm. He's so kind, and he's so loving, and the burden's on him. It's not the sheep's job to get to the green pastures. It's the shepherd's job to get them there. Hmm. And so the longer I've done it, uh, there's been a lot of times where it's like, well, it feels like it's getting harder and harder. Uh, But the Lord is growing faith and growing your ability. But my experience is is right when you get started, the Lord is right there just saying, trust me. Come with me on this. Try this. Okay. So now I'm going to circle back to abuse of that, though. So I have friends, my own self, when I was in a same-sex relationship and I was still going to church, loved Jesus the most I knew how, and yet I was like, okay, God, should I move in with my girlfriend? Like, I was genuinely asking. And I even had some conviction in my heart that this wasn't God's best. But I remember I was like, this is so dumb. But I got like 10 green lights in a row. And I was like, I think that means yes. So I thought, I was like, okay, I'm listening to God. I think that's right. Or I have a friend, I have friends who have felt like God's told them to get an abortion. I have friends who like, yep, I think I'm hearing from God. I'm supposed to engage this relationship or, and I'm like, this is not biblical. So how do we, what you just said, it's pretty simple early on. And yet there's people who are engaging in things that are like, don't seem God to me. Yep. Great question. And that is one of the reasons why, even though I say, you know, uh, God makes it easy, it doesn't mean that it's without dangers. Yeah. Uh, And so my answer to that is when people say those kinds of things is, is that, okay, first of all, if you already know what you want to have happen and you're just trying to get God to sign off on it, Ooh. that's a fundamental uh, misorientation uh, uh, towards this. And so if you've already decided what you want to do and you're going you're to find green lights, you're going to find Bible passages, you're going to find advice that confirms what you already want to do. Ouch. So one of the things is, is, okay, teaching people to say, look, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? 
The other thing to add to that is, you know, this is where we don't want to miss the role of the scriptures. If I was going to pick the thing that God most speaks to me through, by far and away, it's the scriptures. Yeah. He also does through prayer, through circumstances, through conversations with others, through sermons that I hear, lots of ways. But number one, by far, is the scriptures. And what's so powerful about the Bible is, like, if you take the example of voice recognition software, you get some new software and then it asks you to speak, you know, count to five or whatever. And it, you're, tr it's, you're training it to recognize your voice. The Bible is the word of God, meaning this is what God's voice sounds like. And so the more time you spend with the Bible, the more you're trained. This is what God says. And you realize God never says do this sin or God never encourages people to do that sin or whatever it may be. And the more you're trained in those ways, the more you recognize, OK, I am hearing something that's telling me. Uh, that I ought to divorce this person for no reason, or I am hearing something that's telling me that I ought to sleep with this person even though I'm not married to them. But that's not God's voice. And so, yes, there is a discernment process. Uh, we got, people would say, I got all sorts of voices in my head. Like, I got my own voice. I got society's voice. I got voices of my spouse or parents or other influential people in my life. I think sometimes I get Satan voice whispering in my ear, and I got God's voice. But again, I come back to the fundamental uh, framework of Jesus says, my sheep will recognize my voice and that it's his job to make his voice recognizable. And I would even go so far as to say this, that somebody who in good faith is trying desperately to hear God's voice, even when they get it wrong, uh, Jesus is so kind to come along and say, no, no, you missed this. One, one example from history is uh, Francis of Assisi is listening for God's voice and he hears God say to him, and again, I don't think audible, I'm not think talking about an audible voice that he's supposed to join uh, God's army. So he thinks he's supposed to go off to war. And so he starts making preparations for becoming a soldier and whatever. Sometime later, God's like, no, no, no. I meant that metaphorically. Like I want <laughs> you to be in ministry. Yeah. And so again, I take great comfort in the fact if it was all on my shoulders, well, I, I can hear wrong all the time, but it's on God's shoulders. And so if you're doing it in good faith, mm. Even if you have heard wrong or misinterpreted or misunderstood, there is no way a loving Heavenly Father is going to let you go off uh, the rails. Such important points, like starting with, is your heart not pretend not my will, but yours, but like actually my will, double mine, <laughs> like yeah. actually surrendered and submitted. But then too, having the word of God be the filter that filters out all of those different voices so that you can hear his voice and as a as a sheep to really discern the different voices. Well, yeah, and I wanted to to kind of piggyback on that and say, okay, so the Bible as this thing that is God's voice is God's word, and it's the way that we train ourselves to understand and know His actual voice. So it kind of amplifies, turns the volume up on God's voice. Are there any, I guess, practices that you would kind of put into your own life where where it kind of will turn the volume down on some of those other voices you mentioned, whether it's society, whether it's even the good voice of your wife sometimes, or the voice that, that comes up just out of your flesh, or especially, you know, Satan when he's trying to sneak in there. Yeah, fantastic question. Uh, one of the practices is fasting. And so fasting is a way in which you sort of like turbocharge your prayers. And it's kind of a way to say to God, hey, look, I would rather hear from you than eat this food or, or, or do whatever this is. Uh, but you can fast from technology, social media, those mm. sorts of things. I find it incredibly difficult to hear God's voice in the midst of uh, technology, social media, news media, all those things going mm. on. And so one of the best pieces of advice I got was when I was praying about uh, 
marrying my wife. Um, I was in uh, graduate school at the time, and my professor suggested that we take 24 hours uh, alone in solitude and silence and spend that time asking God anything on our heart. And so I was like, well, this is great. And when you've got nothing else around, it really does uh, allow you to hear God's voice better. I do also want to add, because it sounds a little bit at this point, because all I've emphasized is kind of me and the Bible and individualism and solitude. Sheep are part of a herd. I mean, there's a group of sheep. And so like communal discernment and being able to figure out, hey, wait, our shepherd is going that way. (laughs) And someone, another sheep in the flock can hear that. And so I think there's a lot of power in saying, you know what? God gives other people gifts of the spirit to be able to discern, to be able to hear and people hear in lots of different ways. And so I don't want to make it out like, hey, look, it's just me and God and we're kind of off on our own figuring this all out. There is a great role for a community of faith, for accountability, uh, for a marriage partner, for a close friend, for people in your small group to help you figure out. There was a guy, uh, Stanley Hauerwas, who's a, uh, a prof- he was a professor at Duke University and a, a really great ethicist. He had a big decision he had to make about whether to move. He used to teach at Notre Dame, uh, stay at Notre Dame or move to Duke. And he decided that he wanted to hear from God. And so he turned the decision over to his community group. And he said, I can't get my own desires out of the mix. Mm. So would you guys all go off and pray? And would you come back and tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do? Um, And they came back and said, we'd like you to stay, but it feels like God's telling you you got to move to North Carolina. And so he did. And so I, I find something about that to be really powerful that, hey, you know what? There are certain things that it's just really, really difficult to remove your will from. And people who love you, who are unbiased, who are spiritually mature, go and ask them. Mm. Mm, That's gigantic. Can you please tell us a little bit more about how you knew your wife was the one? Because I love that. It's just a great story. So this is God's mercy to me. And uh, so I told you the major decision the first time that I sort of asked the Lord anything was about where to move. And it was to Dallas, Texas. Well, when I got there, the I was of the age, I think in my uh, early 20s, where I was thinking about spouses, marriage, those sorts of things. And actually, at that point, I really wanted to be single. Okay. Uh, I felt that this was the, and I still feel that's the higher calling in the sense of God says, hey, look, uh, there is a special calling from God towards singleness. And I saw Jesus was single. Paul was single in this sort of idealistic, like, well, me too. Like, I want to, I want to do that. And so I felt, you know what? I heard a sermon. I went to a church. Uh, Tony Evans was the pastor of the church, and he preached this really great sermon. He said, hey, look, you just put your head down and do the ministry stuff God's calling you to do. Run as fast as you can. And when you look up, if you see anybody run alongside of you, (laughs) that's a good person for you uh, to consider marrying. So I just said, I'm going to put my head down, and I don't want to be distracted by these sorts of things. And I was actually asking the Lord, Lord, would you let me live this single life? The first thing God did, which I wasn't even asking is he let that go on for two or three years. And I think very much blessed that desire to be single and and desire to serve him in a wholehearted, devoted way. But all of a sudden, everything in my life suddenly turned out to be about marriage. Uh, My closest friend was going through this very powerful experience of God helping him find a wife. My church, all we were preaching about was marriage. The seminary where I was in, our assignment was Ephesians 5 to study this passage. I mean, I just got bombarded by marriage on every side. And I was like, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Mm. And up until that point, the reason why I didn't want to get married, part of it was, is I was just like, you know what? This feels like this institution doesn't really work very well. Yep. 
And so I'm uh, not saying, yep, it doesn't work. I'm saying, yeah. yep, that's how. And I was like, why would anybody subject themselves yeah, yeah. Uh, to all the trouble? And you hear jokes yeah. about ball and chain and those sorts of right. things. And I thought, well, they wouldn't be making that joke if there wasn't some level of truth to it. And so I was just like, why would I want to bother with that? And you read things like First Corinthians 7, where it's like, hey, if you get married, you got to please your wife, too. And if you're not married, you can be single hearted in your devotion. And at that point, I wanted to be single minded in my devotion. But the really powerful thing was, it was through Ephesians 5, where the Lord just gave me personally a different view of marriage than I had before, that marriage was this opportunity to tell the world about Jesus and his love for the church. And that instead of me thinking about marriage as, well, what do I get out of it? It was, you know, this is an opportunity. And if I'm willing to love somebody the way Jesus loves me, well, then this is going to, this is going to go well now. It's still in, very, very difficult, but incredibly wonderful. And so God used that in my life to say, I got marriage for you. Now, part of it in hindsight, looking back is I wasn't qualified to be single. Uh, I wanted to be in ministry and there are people called to be single in ministry. I think of John Stott, who just did it so incredibly well. And now with more maturity, I look back and I think I had too, way too many flaws and mm-hmm. I wasn't like godly like that to be able to do that. And the Lord's like, I've got a person for you who will be the perfect partner in ministry. And without her, I'm not going to be able to do the kind of ministry. You're not going to be able to do the kind of ministry I want you to do. So I see now it was foolish to think that, but the Lord was very kind. And he simply said, I want you to get married. I, I just need to pause a second because I love how you said I wasn't godly enough to live that single life. Like it's, I just appreciate the posturing that you're doing because I think that's such a theme in this podcast and it's just to say, no, it's not this look down at single people. It's look over. And what you're saying is like, really look up because that is such a gorgeous metaphor of how we'll all be in eternity. Yeah. But I interrupted you. You, so God started knocking on your heart. So at that point you're like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure God wouldn't tell me to get married if like the spouse was like 10 years away or 15. It just feels like God tells you stuff in the right time. So I started praying and I came across this great passage uh, in Genesis chapter 24, where Abraham wants a wife for his son, Isaac. And he sends his servant off to go find a wife. And I think, man, if I'm the servant, that's a lot of pressure. Like if (laughs) you're bringing home the future daughter-in-law and if Sarah doesn't like her, if Abraham doesn't like this, it could go really badly. So, The servant says, okay, God, I need your help. And he has this great prayer where he says, okay, Lord, choose a spouse for me. So I'm reading that. And of course, in full disclosure, part of the reason why I was willing to let God choose a spouse is because I was terrible at it at that point. Like all sort of dating experiences, just boy, girl interactions. They just all were bad. And so some people are very good at it. I was terrible at it. Were you just awkward? I used to be an engineer. Oh. And so that might give you a sense of sort of how <laughs> awkward. Yes, awkward. Uh, I mean, for, there's lots of engineers type. out there yeah. who are not awkward. <laughs> I was. And so I was like, you know what? Wait a second. There's another way to do this. I also, my ethnic background is Arab. And so in the Arab world, there is the concept of an arranged marriage. My family didn't practice that. And the only reason I wouldn't do it is I'm like, I do not want my parents choosing a spouse for me. But the concept of an arranged marriage was not completely unheard of. So all of a sudden I see this passage where, well, God's picking a spouse. And so now I'm reading and I'm like, well, that's in the Old Testament and Isaac's a patriarch and he's a really important person. And this is probably just a one-time sort of event. 
Then I get to the passage in Matthew 7 where it says, uh, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door shall be open to you. For whoever asks receives, whoever seeks finds, whoever knocks the door will be open. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven uh, give good gifts to you? And so I took that to mean, well, wait a second. If my earthly father would give me advice about who to marry, that passage tells me my heavenly father will. So whereas Genesis told me that God could, Matthew said that he would. Hmm. So I decided, okay, Lord, I'm going to give up my right to choose my own spouse. Now, I believe Christians have every right to choose their spouses. I believe God blesses that. I think that is perfectly wonderful. In my case, I asked the Lord, would it be possible for me to give that up and to have you do the choosing for me? And I sort of asked for two requests with that. The first was that it be somebody that I don't already know. Because that point that you made earlier uh, about uh, not having your voices in your head trying to make those decisions. Up until that point, uh, I was like, I'll just get confused if I had to sort through females that I already knew. And then Plus the, the awkward thing. The awkward thing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing was, Lord, would you please tell me who it is before I meet her? Because again, up until that point, my eyes had not been the most reliable guide uh, for making selections. So in God's grace, I started praying about it. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, I'm sitting in a classroom. And uh, it's a seminary classroom. And so my professor is up front and he shares a prayer request about a daughter. And just the weirdest sort of subjective feeling came over me. And I can't describe it. And there's no way to sort of explain it to anybody else. I just felt like that's who you're supposed to marry. Hmm. It was so weird that I burst out laughing because I, I was uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. And so I made a joke, which the professor did not find funny. Uh, <laughs> people around me found funny, but it was just this nervous energy. Now, if that was all that it was, I would have just forgotten it. But the next day, the thought came back and again and again, pretty much every day for about six months. Hmm. Wow. Then finally, uh, the opportunity comes for me to meet this woman. And so as only the Lord can do, he arranges that we meet first on the telephone. And so we have a phone conversation and it just, it does nothing except sort of confirm in my heart, wait a second, I think this might actually be from the Lord. Now, seven, eight months go by where we're hanging out together, uh, dating and spending time together. And there's just this growing sense from the Lord. So it wasn't like I had this kind of light switch. Mo I certainly didn't tell her. Wait, did you, how did you get to meet her though? Was it like you went up to the professor and you're like, I got to meet your daughter? Well, it's a long story, but oh, okay. a mutual friend of ours worked with her mom. Oh, okay. So. And so there was a connection. Oh, okay. But yes, I called her on the phone and it was a very strange and awkward phone conversation, <laughs> which is like, who are you and why are you calling me? But again, by this point for six months, the Lord had sort of been impressing on my heart. And you know, if you have even a sense that God might be saying something at some point, I, I made up my mind, you know what? I'm going to try to obey. Yep. If it turns out that I'm wrong, at least I'm trying to show God that I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. I have a friend that's like, if it's 90%, yeah, I'm going to just go for it. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. and if nothing else I've learned later, theologically, you're acting in faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. So by faith, I called her and by grace, she picked up the phone and actually talked to me. <laughs> and again, there was this glowing sense. It still took seven or eight months. There were things that came up where I was like, wait a second, did I hear wrong? Like, obviously we would have conflict or disagreement. And I would think to myself, wait a second. And I would pray and the Lord would just do something to confirm. No, trust me. 
Then came that day where we were encouraged to spend 24 hours alone. And this was my thing. Lord, I'm going to, is this the person for me? I wanted to be a hundred percent sure. And so even by that point, I was 95% sure. I was too scared about making the wrong decision. And so I didn't know how to go about it, but I just, I started, you know what? I'm going to start with praise and thanking God. So being an engineer, I had a computer with me. (laughs) And so I just started typing. I started typing all the things I could remember that God did for me that I was grateful for. And I just started as young as I could remember. And I just started listing them over and it just kept coming and coming and coming. And all of a sudden sentences turned into paragraphs and paragraphs turned into pages. And there was this long list of all these things gone. I mean, I was thanking him for my fourth grade teacher, like anything I could remember. (laughs) And somehow we got to the end of this and I'm praying earnestly about Lisa and I'm praying, Lord, is this, and it just felt, you know what? She fits in the thread of my life. Like if I went back and looked at all the things God had been doing, she just fits. Hmm. And so that was kind of the final, all right, Lord, uh, I'm ready to step out on faith and do this. So sweet. Which, by the way, I heard your like a talk you gave with that story. And you mentioned how praise leads to more praise, like how you, the 30 pages that you wrote. And I started implementing that with our daughters. Like I've, I've been listening to a lot. Tim Keller's doing a series on the Gospel and Life podcast on prayer. And so he talks about how like two thirds of the Lord's prayer is praise. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to implement that more in my own life, which it's doing something in my own heart. But then with our, our kids, our daughters specifically, our son's too young. I was like, you guys, isn't it cool? Because I was thinking of your talk and what you just shared. And I was like, how one thankful thing leads to another leads to another. And so now even last night, they're like, mom, it's happening again. Thank you, Jesus, for this and that and that. Like it's happening. It's That's so awesome. sweet. It's so precious. So, um, Jim, okay. So this is, I, I, I want to ask like a trillion more questions, but we, we got to land it at some point. But if someone's listening to this and they're going to turn this podcast off and they're going to go, Oh, wow. That was cool. Hopefully they say that. I'm like, man, he really hears from God. And I don't know if I have, I don't know how to discern these different voices. I don't know if it was the breakfast I ate or the burrito. I, I don't know, whatever food, <laughs> but like, what's something that they can do, um, right now and not slip into even shame, which I just want to speak against that in Jesus name. If people are listening, they're like, Oh, I'm not like Jim. I I'm not whatever. Like, what can they do right now? So I'm going to be very honest to say the first time that I heard from God's voice, when I look back now, there was all sorts of sin in my life, hmm. some of which I knew about even back then. But I just yeah. was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this some other point. Looking back now, I was like, there was even more than I knew. Yeah. That's, again, the fundamental uh, framework is God is loving and gracious and kind and compassionate. And if you're going to wait until you're holy enough to hear from God, That's just not how it works. He's so kind. And when he comes and calls you, he says, while you were still sinners, Jesus died for you. Mm. While you're still wrestling with sanctification and all this stuff, God comes and speaks to you. And so my overwhelming urging would be just give him a chance. Like, I think God so desperately wants to talk to his children that all he needs is for us to remove any barriers. We don't have to twist his arm to get him to talk. He's always talking. I mean, Jesus is called the word of God. It's constant communication. Mm. We just aren't listening because like uh, Matt said earlier, we're we're listening to other things. We're listening to all this other stuff in our life. We're listening to other people. It's a struggle to believe that he might talk. And so my just one thing would be just give him a chance. Just Mm. say to him, Lord, if what that crazy guy is talking about is real, would you just say something to me? And then I would just tell people, look, after you've prayed that, just look around. 
pay attention at the next church service you're in. Was there anything in the sermon that felt like it was for you or addressing that situation? Was there anything in the conversation you had? Did you read a, a devotional this morning? Did someone send you a, a passage or a note of encouragement? And I think if you look with eager expectation, then you'll see God in all sorts of things. And so I don't have any fear uh, that God is not going to respond. And mm. so just give him a chance. That's so important. And that's such a great place to land is the no fear. There's so many times I'm walking with people or Matt is, and we do, we've talked about listening prayer on here and like visual prayer, like getting to a quiet place and just asking God to show up. And I am convinced I've walked with people hundreds of times and I am convinced I'm so desperate and needy and in my own heart, even though I look confident, like, oh man, Lori's going to help me hear from God inside. I'm going, please show up. Like, absolutely. Because Mm -hmm. that's my posture of please show up. Like he does. He has yet not to have, have you experienced that too? Yeah. I mean, I've heard from God hundreds of times, thousands of times. And still when you sit down to pray, you think, Oh, he's not gonna say anything. Yeah. Or maybe those previous times I just made up or whatever it is. And I love the prayer in Mark, which is Lord help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And again, it doesn't ride on our faith. Mm. Faith pleases God, but it doesn't ride on our faith. So I love the passage in Matthew 14, where Peter wants to get out of the boat to walk on water. And he says, Jesus, can I come out on the water? And Jesus, instead of saying, yeah, sure, come. It says, he says, yes. And then he turns around and commands him to come. And I think, well, he already asked, what do we have to command him for? The point is, once he's out there on the basis of obedience, he can't drown. Hmm. He can sink, but he can't drown. And so if you're going to ask God to speak to you, if you're going to, you cannot drown because you would be doing it in response to commands throughout the scriptures that say, if you lack wisdom, come and ask me. Mm. Uh, Shouldn't the people inquire of the Lord? And so if you do it in response to that, yes, there will be times when with your faith, faith is not strong enough and you will sink some, but you won't drown. So good. Mm. Uh, Pastor Jim, would you close this in prayer? And maybe honestly, it's just like invite us into conversational prayer. Absolutely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, God, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. We praise you that you are a God who is near to us. Uh, Jesus, you came and became one of us so that we might know you, so that we might hear your voice. Jesus, we believe that you are the good shepherd and we believe that you not only call us by name, but you lead us beside still waters and into green pastures. And so, Jesus, I pray for listeners right now. Lord, give them faith. Uh, Lord, please, please allow them to know that you are a God who speaks to them, who wants to help them, who wants to encourage them. Lord, you are the source of all wisdom. God, you are the source of all grace. And so I pray for any right now who are thinking, uh, I really could use something from the Lord. Lord, would you give them faith? Would you place within them the desire, just the willingness to try? And then, God, we've placed you on the line, but we've only done so because this is what your word says. Uh, Lord, you tell us in Isaiah, should people seek guidance from mediums and spiritists and from media and all this stuff? Should not a people inquire of the Lord? And God, you tell us whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Mm -hmm. And so God, I claim that promise for every listener who hears this. Lord, I claim this on their behalf. Lord, would you give them the courage to believe even just a mustard seed of faith? And God, whatever it is they're asking for, Lord, this is your chance. Step in and show them. 
God, that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And God, we will praise your name for it. And God, we will share testimonies. And Lord, we will even sing all the way my Savior leads me. And Lord, when we arrive in heaven, we will say, uh, you led us all the way. Thank you, God, for the gift of your spirit who leads us and guides us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming among us to be our good shepherd. And thank you, Father, for loving us so much uh, to speak to us in the midst of darkness and doubt and confusion. Mm. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, Jim. Mm. Thank you. And guys, if you want to connect with Jim, we will have some more of his information there on our podcast episode page. And some of that discipleship that I was talking about, some of that journey while training, we've actually worked with Calvary Church and a bunch of other churches around the country. Um, if you want to learn how to walk alongside LGBT people, and again, the secret sauce is how do you just walk alongside people? And a big piece of it is, you know, discernment and listening. And um, there's so much faith in walking alongside people that we didn't make and we can't control, but the Father made and love so dearly and is calling to himself. And our question of the week for next week, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were between five and eight years old? I just, I like to hear from you guys. Um, so thanks so much for your responses to the question of the week this week. I just, there's so many and I loved them. Uh, and so we'd like to hear some of that as well. I just wonder if it will scratch a little nostalgia itch and maybe, I don't know, start us dreaming again. And maybe, hey, who knows? Maybe God will talk through that about uh, where, where our next steps are. But if you want to respond to that, find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm not as active there, but on Instagram and Facebook. And again, that Hold My Heart podcast page. But guys, thanks so much for joining us. We really are praying for you and we're so we're just so grateful you're a part of this podcast fam so for all of us here we'll see you next week matt stop talking to siri talk to us no we're your real friends i don't want to care about websites matt, stop living on the internet it's not real. I'm trying to figure Matt. some stuff out. It's not real. Check, 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 real. check. Uh, I'm real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ask him some. Yeah, okay. So Matt is wearing his Argyle. Yes, is that sir. a new sweater vest? Or? No, it's oh, okay. been a while. It looks good. You look like you've lost weight. Hmm. Have you? I mean, I, I did do like 10 push-ups last night. Wow. <laughs> okay, let's talk about <laughs> men losing weight, especially Matt. Here me. I lose. No, I run. There's the verb. Six miles a day. Sometimes not really? every day. Wow. And it's like same. No weight loss. But same, you, samey, same person. Did, you didn't do the Grand Rapids Marathon, did you? No, I'm not that person. I'm like, I'm like a tight four to six miles. Matt's like, mm, I think I'll do 10 pushups and do a walk around a lake, <laughs> a short lake. And he's like, lost 10 pounds. It's not fair. I'm sorry. Is that how guys are? I think so. I'm not you sure are why. too. You think about losing weight, you lose weight. Well, I wish. I wish. <laughs> it's not as easy the older I get, but it's it is true. Like I could, I mean, like think about I could, it. I, well, I could and lose get sick. It. I had a coworker. I could get sick. That's not sick healthy. On Monday. Yeah. I, he didn't choose to. He yeah. didn't. But he was like. Also, he came in with the next day. We're like, how you doing? He's like, oh, I'm I'm much better. Also. Got on the scale, lost five pounds. <laughs> gross. I know. That's just gross. <laughs> that's not fat. Well, he was throwing up, but I mean, that's one way to do it. It's not the. It's not a good way to do it. No, I mean, and I'm not trying to lose weight. I don't feel. I just. He's always like, yeah, I think I, I'm thinking about losing weight. Right. Lost five pounds. I. Uh, that's why. 
Hmm. What? I was just about to admit something. Do it. That's why sometimes I fast. Oh! <laughs> Smote it. Another storm's going to come right in, Steve. Really? Sometimes. I mean, not every honest. time. Yeah. Also, so maybe don't call it fasting though, right? Or at least holy fasting, just intermittent. No, it's yeah, it's just a health, it's just a health fast. Thing. <laughs> okay, never mind. You, yeah, you could say it. you're like you should just say I'm fasting, but I'm not like the holy type. Right. Like the... It's the kind I can talk about. So <laughs> on those ones, you wear the sackcloth and ashes. Yes, totally. Because it's not the holy kind, right. but you're in sackcloth and ashes. Right. Just so you know. <laughs> Okay, we're good on levels, I think. Okay. <laughs>